Welcome to Drone Law Pro Radio. Visit DroneLaw.pro, where Part 107 pilots become Part 107 professionals. Here's your host, drone attorney Enrico Schaefer. This is Enrico Schaefer on Drone Law Pro Radio, and today we've got a, a guest that's going to talk about something that is near and dear to all of your hearts, which is going to be Part 135, and this is the uh, relevant certification that's re- it's going to be required in order to do drone delivery, and we've got Guido Fuentes here today to talk a little bit about how to get through that process, some use cases uh, that are we're starting to see out there in the market to be able to uh, to do drone delivery services, uh, the types of things that uh, UPS wants to do and Amazon wants to do, hospitals want to do, and many others want to do in order to extend their drone services. So, uh, Guido Fuentes, welcome to the show. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. Good. So, uh, you are the VP Facilitation and Training for Prism Solution, which is Professional Resources in System Management, LLC. Tell us a little bit about Prism and your background. Sure, sure. Uh, So, uh, my uh, original uh, training is in aeronautical engineering. I graduated from the United States Air Force Academy uh, about 30 years ago. And uh, I have been working in the... uh, aviation industry for uh, for all this time in, in various capacities, but especially in what has to do with uh, with safety. Uh, safety in aviation is, is is something that encompasses absolutely everything. Um, since we're talking about uh, safety as something that can be affected by uh, not only the operational side or the technical side, but the organizational side as well. So now that um, now that we're in the UAS uh, uh, arena and with with the uh, uh, great potential of UAS commercial operations, um, we are now doing everything that's required for those operations to be safe. So one of the things that I do uh, regarding safety uh, is not just the implementation of, of safety management systems, which is an integral part of UAS operations uh, commercially, uh, but things like meeting the requirements for the FAA. In this case, um, the uh, Uh, Part 135 requirements, which basically means to be able to fly um, uh, or to conduct uh, commercial operations for hire uh, for compensation in in U.S. airspace. Now, let me talk a a little bit about PRISM. Um, So PRISM Professional Resources and System Management uh, is a a wholly owned subsidiary of uh, of a larger organization called uh, Argus International. Uh, PRISM uh, is is a very diverse organization. Um, We have all kinds of different uh, types of services. Um, the one that I that I uh, currently uh, do is is training and facilitation. Facilitation basically meaning uh, letting uh, allowing customers to achieve their goal. And in this case, the goal could be achieving Part 135 certification to be able to operate commercially on demand in the U.S. Uh, we also do training uh, in, in all kinds of uh, safety related uh, subjects. Uh, we also do certification uh, assistance, which is which is also the Part 135 work that we do with UAS operators. Um, and there are other sides to uh, to our business. Uh, we offer an online solution for operators of all sorts, uh, including UAS operators, uh, to run their safety management system. A safety management system is a, is a basic requirement uh, from the FAA, from ICAO, the International Civil Aviation Organization, really worldwide. Uh, for anybody that flies, 
And uh, in this case, uh, the FAA for a Part 135 operator uh, for drones or for other types of aircraft, uh, uh, manned aircraft, uh, they're required to have an SMS. So we offer an online solution for SMS, um, and we are the biggest provider in the business aviation segment, although we do have uh, many UAS operators also as well using our using our tool. Uh, we also have the same type of service exclusively for helicopters. So we have a separate helicopter division, which runs the uh, safety management system system tool uh, and support for helico- uh, for helicopter operators and and by the way many of these helicopter operators are now diversifying into into UAS as, as an option or a complement to their to their business model um, we also have an, a separate unmanned aviation safety division, uh, which provides consulting, not, not, not only on 135 or FAA approved operations, but uh, on, on any other operation like government operations or uh, private operations uh, that can be conducted anywhere in the world to support uh, things like energy companies, inspecting power lines, or all kinds of different, different functions. Uh, we also have a separate business aviation consulting uh, division, where we run uh, various types of business aviation related uh, programs um, for um, other types of operators like Part 91, which are flight departments, etc. So, so we are very diverse um, and we're, we're basically now uh, using this expertise uh, to uh, support the uh, the emerging um, Part 135 market for unmanned aircraft systems. Right, and of course the, um, the SUAS community has been waiting a long time to engage in a variety of different operations and and, you know, the FAA has slowly been loosening its grip as the safety cases have been made for various operators and various types of operations. So let's talk a little bit about Part 135 because drone delivery has been part of the discussion for many years. And because of Amazon and some of the others who've been working towards drone delivery, it's gotten a lot of press. A lot of folks in the space, a lot of the service providers would love to, of course, jump right into drone delivery. That's not going to happen without some effort and without uh, some resources invested. So let's talk a little bit about what the use cases are first for Part 135. What are you seeing out there in the market? Sure, sure. So, um, so Part 135 really means that we uh, we have the uh, the green light, the seal of approval from the FAA um, to conduct uh, UAS operations in uh, in controlled U.S. airspace. Um, in order for the FAA to uh, to give that green light uh, for continuous on-demand operations like delivering packages or let's call them payloads, since it's really not just packages but you know, all kinds of other different types of products. Um, to deliver those payloads, the FAA has to assure that everything is done safely. And that's what the FAA calls the uh, acceptable level of safety. They have to be sure that the uh, the operator, big or small, for UAS is going to meet an acceptable level of safety. And uh, in order to do that, they have to frame it. Uh, within one of the existing or, or a new uh, um, framework that will guarantee that uh, all regulations uh, that guarantee that minimum acceptable level of safety um, are met. And the regulation that exists already, that is the one that most uh, clearly will adapt 
or is now currently adapting uh, to UAS operations for delivering payloads, all kinds of payloads, big or small, over long or short ranges, um, is Part 135, which is basically the one that manned operators follow when they when they want to uh, conduct uh, charter flights. And charter flights simply means you have a company or an individual that hires this, this organization to transport their payload in a manned airplane from point A to point B. Um, and that's really the same as when a customer asks uh, a UAS operator to transport their payload, well, smaller than in a manned airplane, but but important, uh, from point A to point B. Uh, it's exactly the same. You're, they're basically, the operator is getting paid to transport that payload from point A to point B. So, you know, we're just doing it in a different way, and uh, we have a much smaller uh, altitude, so lower altitudes, as well as smaller payloads. Um, but the FAA, the only way the FAA can kind of assure that this can be done safely is by using that framework, the 135 framework that really is the only one that, that uh, fits that model um, for uh, for conducting commercial operations in UAS. So um, so that's that's basically where, where the 135 requirement comes into play. In other words, no UAS operator will be able to conduct any kind of drone package or, or payload delivery of any sort, no matter how important it is um, in US airspace, unless they have met all of the requirements from part 135. In other words, they need to become an official charter operator, on-demand charter operator, for hire under the FAA regulations, Part 135. And, the, you know, obviously besides drone delivery, what are the types of service providers out there that you expect are going to want to get some sort of Part 135 certification? Right. Well, the rule is very clear from the FAA, so there's really no choice here. And the answer is uh, any kind of operator that will get uh, um, that will basically move package if, uh, or the payload from point A to point B uh, and will get paid. So it's a commercial operation. So any commercial operation uh, for profit, and and, and and this of course uh, it excludes military operations or government operations, but everything else um, that is for hire. Um, are basically the ones that are now required to have um, the approval from the FAA. Otherwise, they couldn't. They couldn't operate at all. Yeah, and we know a couple companies have made it through the Part uh, 135 certification process. Uh, Wing and UPS. Uh, and, and what kinds of operations are those companies expecting to uh, run? Uh, sure. So um, the. Um, this company's having a 135 certificate um, will be able to basically um, uh, let the FAA know which routes they want to use uh, and basically make deliveries of, of, of payloads uh, anywhere in the U.S. Um, even though these are on-demand operations, what they actually do is they set up uh, fixed specific uh, locations and fixed and specific routes. Um, so, you know, this couldn't be just some random uh, route where, you know, people will say, well, you know, deliver a pizza, um, you know, to a, to a location that, that is really has never been visited by the drone at all. Uh, these are still very structured routes. Uh, it's just that they will only fly whenever there is demand for, for that, for delivering the payload. Um, but but that's the way they will do it. So so once they decide where the demand is, where the market is for delivering the payload, uh, they establish that fixed route or that fixed corridor or that uh, fixed uh, geographical location where they need to fly to. Um, 
and they they basically declare that to the FAA. So the FAA needs to know which specific routes you you will fly. So you know it isn't like they're just going to fly from you know from from city A to city B um, without telling the FAA. That has to have to be already established uh, in a document. The FAA calls the operation specifications, so they know exactly which drones you're using, exactly which routes you will be flying. Even though it's on demand, you're not flying them every day, maybe. Um, you also need to declare uh, who your pilots are, who your technicians are, who who uh, who is in charge of managing the organization, such as the director of flight operations, a director of maintenance, a director of safety, uh, who's the accountable executive, in other words, the one that makes all decisions and ultimately is responsible for safety, and that that needs to be somebody like the CEO of the organization. Um, so so that's the way these these two operators um, uh, should be uh, establishing their. Uh, their delivery routes um, today. In other words, um, everything will be written down very clearly and approved by the FAA in a, in a document called the Operation Specification. Um, and that's basically kind of the description of what what they will fly and, and how they will fly. And of course, the routes are important because the FAA is always trying to manage the airspace and ensure that there's not going to be any interaction not only between unmanned and manned aircraft, but also unmanned and unmanned aircraft. Um, and so how is the FAA going through that process of determining what the initial routes are going to be? I know they're focused on some more rural areas. Sure. Well, there's two parts of this. One is the initial testing that is being done. Um, that initial testing uh, is being done through what is called the IPP, the Integrated uh, U.S. Integrated uh, or Integration Pilot Program, uh, which is basically uh, testing, testing all kinds of systems um, to come up with data that will tell us uh, whether or not we achieve a minimum level of safety when we try to fly the drones from point A to point B um, within line of sight uh, or, or not. Um, in short ranges, long ranges, etc. So, so on one hand, we have those 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 uh, testing grounds as part of the IPP program, um, where the FAA is testing the technology as well as the operational procedures, uh, along with many operators and many uh, uh, cities and, and other entities. Um, to to come up with a solution, so so you know the the FAA is learning just as much as as we are, uh, as operators are learning as well. So that is happening right now as part of the IPP, um, and based on the data that they gather, so the IPP should be uh, should last for another year, approximately another year, and and then it ends. Uh, using that data, the FAA will come up with the final solution as to how they will control. Uh, or safely assure the uh, minimum level of safety for UAS operations um, based on that data, based on what industry is able to do, based on the technological uh, solutions that are available. Um, and, and, and that, of course, will need to be adopted by every drone operator that wants to deliver uh, payloads or packages for, for hire. Exactly. So um, this is going to be a process, and it's not like as you're, you know these these companies are getting their their certification and and start flying all over the United States and and doing whatever they want. It's a very controlled approach that the FAA has has put in place for almost every aspect of SUAS. This is no exception. Yeah. Uh, you know what would be the expected process if I'm a, for instance an oil field company and I've I've got a um, 
you know, a couple years under my belt as a SUAS uh, operations, um, doing inspections or what ha- have you at my rigs. Uh, and now I want to start rolling out a program uh, under uh, Part 135. I come to a company like yours to assist and to consult me through the process. What should I expect that process to be? Sure, sure. So uh, the fact that you already have a proven operation is a is a big plus. Uh, however, it doesn't guarantee success. So here's the process. Basically, what we need to do is, according to the FAA, we need to go through a a uh, five a phase uh, process for approval. Um, and and the way it works is, uh, first of all, uh, we need to tell the FAA that we intend to apply for a Part 135 certificate, in this case for UAS operations. That's what the FAA calls phase one or the pre-application phase. Um, This phase is really easy. All we need to do is to file uh, what is called a a PASI, a PASI, uh, which is basically a pre-application statement of intent um, that, uh, and it's just a form, it's just an FAA form, so nothing fancy, uh, where we let the FAA know that we intend to um, to pursue um, FAA 135 certification uh, for continued operations in the future. So we filled out that form, we provide it to the FAA, and then uh, what, that, what that does is it provides the FAA the uh, uh, the knowledge of, of you know how much how many how many people how much how many how much time how much resources do they have to have um, based on the number of operators that want to become 135 uh, registered. Uh, right now, the FAA there are approximately 10 that are, are undergoing that process. Um, so they all started by, with with that uh, with that form. Once that form is submitted, then the FAA uh, will go to your site, whatever the operator is, um, and conduct a meeting. They will conduct a meeting um, with the uh, with the operator, and uh, the operator will then um, uh, you know basically tell them about their operation. But the FAA, uh, what the FAA does is they, is they outline they outline the process, uh, and the process are basically the next four phases. So uh, so after that meeting. Um, what the operator needs to do, and this is where the bulk of the work is, and that's where companies like like Prism, um, we basically uh, work with the operator to conduct uh, or to set up or to prepare uh, all these uh, various things that you need to deliver, um, the, the the things that, that, that are needed for the next phase. So phase two is called the formal application phase, um, and this is where we need to deliver uh, a lot, uh, many, uh, documents to the FAA. There are two types of documents. Um, ones are one are the application documents, and the other type is the uh, actual manuals. Uh, on the application documents, uh, we have things like a statement of uh, compliance. Uh, which is uh, a huge uh, document uh, that uh, states uh, line by line uh, how we meet or do not meet uh, each and every requirement from Part 135. Um, At that point, we also decide which part does not apply. Uh, The most common example that is used here, especially by the FAA, uh, are things like uh, the fact that for Part 135 operations, for manned Part 135 operations, um, you're required to have manuals on board. Well, for a UAS, if we have manuals on board, we probably kill the payload. Um, So that one, that and many others uh, will then be declared exceptions. 
based on the specific type of drone we're using, based on the specific type of operation we're using, on the configuration of our drone, configuration of our payload, etc., cetera, uh, the performance of our drone, we will then also apply for exceptions. So um, we do that for operators, uh, as well as submitting uh, many other documents. We need to also uh, submit the uh, resumes for people that will be uh, part of the required uh, staff, that is, that is a minimum requirement from the FAA. We need to have, at the very least, uh, on the UAS operator side, uh, director of operations, uh, director of maintenance. We need to have an accountable executive, which is usually the CEO. Um, and we need to have a safety manager as well. What this means is that we also need to have a safety management system um, and most UAS operators, um, you know, are not really aviation companies, um, and 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 that's where we help them understand what these requirements are and how to implement things like a safety management system. Uh, at the same time, uh, we develop for operators uh, other key documents. Uh, in this case, very specific manuals, such as a general operations manual, which describes in great detail how the operation will be conducted, and. Uh, also, uh, another key manual called the General Maintenance Manual. Um, and that manual basically describes how you maintain the, uh, the aircraft, in this case, the unmanned aircraft, um, to make sure that it remains uh, airworthy. So, um, so there are a lot of different documents um, that have to be submitted. And each and every one of those documents, and certainly the manuals, have to contain all of the requirements that are outlined in the regulation. And there are many, many, many of them. Um, when we talk about the statement of compliance, you know, it's, it's thousands of lines long, um, you know, more than 1,000, more than 2,000 lines long. So uh, it's a very significant process, um, and that's where the FAA uh, will uh, um, will basically be a lot more receptive by using one of the uh, uh, five or six uh, certification consultant companies. The FAA has approved uh, uh, a group of six, uh, five or six certification consultant companies. Um, these are commercial companies, and we are one of them. Prism is one of them um, that are approved by the FAA to conduct these types of, of processes. The reason they did that is because there were many operators that thought that this would be an easy process, um, so they would they would submit the initial application, um, and then they would try to do the documents themselves, both the application documents as well as the manuals, um, and they would basically crash and burn because they don't understand the regulations and how they need to be applied in the documents. Um, so that's why the FAA created this certification consultant uh, category for, for commercial uh, consulting companies. So, so the next phase is formal application and is the bulk of, of the work because that is when operators need to submit a lot of documents uh, for the FAA. Once the FAA receives these documents um, based on their workload, um, they will, it will take them um, you know, months, um, months, at least six months to review absolutely everything. Um, so what that means is they will come back with uh, differences, recommendations, changes, suggested changes, um, suggested corrections to all the documents. And, uh, and at that point, um, then we have to, uh, we work with the operator uh, to make the changes that need to be made. Now, keep in mind that everything that we submit in writing needs to reflect 100% of what you will do to maintain the UAS during, during those deliveries, to fly the UAS. So everything you put in writing needs to be exactly what you plan to do um, when you conduct your deliveries. So, you know, so these are not 
just documents. These are really uh, the standards by which you will be measured by the FAA um, later on. So that is phase two formal application. at that point, the FAA moves into what they call phase three design assessment, which is basically what I just mentioned, uh, taking a look at all the documents and deciding whether or not they are appropriate for part 135 certification. Um, after that, they move on to what is called phase four, and this is performance assessment. Uh, this is the practical test. What this means is that the FAA will go on site to wherever you fly, to your typical delivery route, um, and observe everything that you do. They will compare the way you the way you maintain the drone, the way you fly the drone, the way you deal with issues in the drone uh, of all sorts, like maintenance issues, technical issues, uh, engine out issues, um, you know, anything and everything. They will give you scenarios. Um, so that they check whether or not you're doing everything that you put in writing um, regarding your operation, and that's the uh, you know that's like a job interview basically. They yeah. uh, they they evaluate you and your and your operation the way it will be conducted, the way you will fly your drone and deliver the packages, um, and and you know it's the practical side of it. So um, so either you pass or you fail, um, and that's a, that's a really big one. So uh, in order for an operator to be ready for that, they have to really. Really, really make sure that their people are trained in the procedures that were submitted in writing. And that's uh, the difference. In the Part 107, it's all self-regulated, right? You're out there flying uh, yeah. pursuant to the rules. But it, when it comes to these types of operations, which have a higher safety risk, they are going to be much more circumspect about compliance with the you know, not only preparing the appropriate manuals, documentation, and safety uh, systems, but showing that you can execute on those documents. Right. And that's what provides not only a bigger organizational, operational, and technical framework, um, but that's what gives the FAA that that uh, peace of mind that you're that the safety level that you have, that the risk level that you have um, meets that acceptable level of safety that you're looking for, um, and that is the same the same type of uh, the same types of processes, procedures, and rules that that a big operator, that a manned operator, needs to meet today for on demand on demand flying. So um, so yes, it's a lot more structured uh, because for Part 107, um, you don't have a, you, you don't have nearly you know you don't have the manuals that you need that you need to have. You don't have to develop a safety management system. You don't have to, uh, you know, you're restricted to less than 55 pounds. All these things that definitely make the risk much, much lower. Um, And here, when you become a 135 operator, you not only get the certification, but there is an ongoing uh, surveillance uh, by the FAA um, regarding uh, every time you fly. So, um, you know, that means uh, periodic visits from the FAA, periodic audits from the FAA, uh, revisions to your manuals and process and procedures need to go and be approved by the FAA. Um, so there is a, a much higher uh, component of surveillance and control by the FAA when you are 135 compared to 107, which is really more of a, as you said, um, you know, more of a more of an honor code type thing. 
Right. And, and what, uh, you know, what we've always found with the service providers is, uh, is a reality check moment when they realize that this is going to take planning. It's going to take time. It's going to take resources, financial resources as well. You have to have a budget, a plan, and, and you have to have adequate money to be able to invest in this process. And, uh, and, you know, can you talk a little bit about that? What, what kinds of things should sure. a company be thinking about before they get too far into uh, in, into hiring a company such as Prism? Right. So let's talk about time and resources. So time, um, a typical UAS operator, and especially the ones that, that we have worked with, um, have taken anywhere between six months to two years to achieve Part 135 certification. Now, th- this depends on two things. One is your, you know, the ability that you have to devote time and resources to the process, um, you know, because most UAS operators are already doing something else. Um, so, so you know, how many people can you devote? How much time can you devote to the process? Um, and and that will make it faster, go faster or slower. Um, but anyway, between six months and and two years is the reasonable amount of time. Now, uh, a, a typical amount of time is one year. One year. Now, can you do it in six months? Sure. If you dedicate 100% resources to that, uh, you can. You can. And, and of course, it also depends on the workload from the FAA. Um, and the more successful Part 135 uh, certifications there are, uh, the more operators will want to get the 135. Uh, and also, the FAA is learning. The FAA is also learning, like we are, because this is a brand new, uh, a brand new way of uh, of, of flying and, and delivering uh, payloads. Um, the more they learn, uh, the more they standardize um, the various things that are and are not approved, um, you know, regarding like flying over people or flying uh, beyond line of sight or, you know, or anything like that. Um, and, and in some cases, it will become more demanding. And in some cases, it will become easier to uh, to meet those requirements. So so anywhere between six months and two years. Now, let's talk about resources. Uh, resources, you have to make sure that you have, uh, first of all, the staff required uh, by the FAA. You have to have a director of operations, a director of maintenance, and a director of safety. Uh, you have to make sure you have maintenance staff, uh, maintenance technicians. Uh, you have pilots, um, and, 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 and you also have um, uh, anybody else that is required for your operation. Some of these UAS operators, uh, to fly the UAS, they don't, they don't just use one pilot. They use a pilot, but there might be somebody else in front of the computer terminal um, or the laptop, uh, you know, controlling the uh, the software uh, that actually directs the 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 drone to do what it what it does. Um, uh, some of these other organizations might also need observers, observers along the route, um, or observers in a car following the UAS. So. Um, you know, whichever one it is, it requires people. It requires people, uh, and it requires resources. And for you to uh, uh, to meet all the requirements from 135 uh, by having manuals, you're basically promising that you will have the required infrastructure for maintenance, the required infrastructure for operations, 
um, and all of that requires money. So depending on on how big or small your operation is, um, you know your costs will vary. But it definitely isn't a cost-free process um, initially. And as you grow, it'll be more more effective since you will be be able to use those fixed costs um, for many for many more more operations and more many more drones, and and therefore it, you will be able to spread those fixed costs uh, among more more and more of the operation uh, and, and revenue operation so uh, but initially you know it's a it's a significant cost um, so you know so it depends it depends on what you have and what you don't have uh, mo- many operators probably most operators today um, are focused more on research and development uh, they're focused more on on making sure the drone works making sure this control system works making sure you have a better drone making sure you have a drone that has better payload you know all kinds of things um, and, and by doing that, they're really focused on research and development. In order for you to become a 135 operator, you need to uh, have a separate uh, mindset, and it is the mindset of being an operator and not a, not a, not a drone builder and flyer, but a drone operator. Um, and that mindset uh, requires uh, a separate a separate group of people. Um, for example, one operator we're working with now, um, you know, they're great at building drones and making them better. Um, but guess what? Guess what that is? That is construction. That is research and development. That is assembly. That is production of drones. Um, so our very first. Uh, uh, piece of advice to them was um, we need to separate that from actual operations. Uh, operations means pilots. Operations means a director of maintenance. Operations means safety. Um, and they should not be involved in anything related to you know, developing a better drone or building the drones or assembling the drones. Um, they need to be separate operations. When you get a 135 certification, you're basically saying that your drone and your operation is good enough today uh, to operate safely, um, so you know any upgrades to your drone are, are great, of course, um, but they should happen later. Um, and in other words, in order for you to get a 135 certification, you need to freeze that uh, technical or, 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 or um, that, that that technical and operational state of your drone, at least for for one or two or three drones, whichever ones you're including in the 135 operation uh, request. Um, you know, fr- freeze those procedures and freeze those configurations uh, for the FAA to approve them. Yeah, you have to get your kind of airworthiness under, underneath you as well on the on the equipment side, and make sure that um, you know you've got the equipment that, that as well. The FAA is going to approve as part of your 135 operation. <laughs> Right. So a separate process than 135 is to obtain um, the airworthiness certificate for the drone. And that is uh, managed by a separate group within the FAA. And uh, uh, it basically means that you have met all the requirements from the FAA so for the drone to be safe to fly. Um, what that means is that you have to um, obtain a production certificate. Um, you need to obtain an airworthiness certificate, um, and 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 in that regard, you are now in in the mode of a of a builder of a of an aircraft or UAS um, uh, manufacturer. So uh, that is a separate process, separate than the 135 uh, certification. 
um, and you also need to conduct that with the FAA. Guido Fuentes from Professional Resources in System Management, LLC, PRISM. Thank you for being on the show today. Uh, if, if there are companies out there that are looking for the consulting services that PRISM offers, uh, how should they contact you? Sure. So uh, we are uh, Prism, and uh, you can you can certainly find us online um, under uh, www.prism.aero, um, and uh, you can also find us under under Argus International, our parent company. Um, so um, uh, you're welcome to uh, to contact us. We'll be happy to assess your operation. Great. And we've been talking part 135 and drone delivery today. We will see you next time, Drone Law Pro Radio. You've been listening to Drone Law Pro Radio. Visit us at dronelaw.pro. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on most podcast listening platforms, including your home devices, by searching Drone Law Pro. Don't forget to share this podcast on your social media and with your Part 107 friends. Until next time, fly safe.